Good to be back in the house. My wife and I have been in the great state of Israel for the last 10 days and uh, went to the holy city, Jerusalem. We just came back. It was a 32-hour trip, everybody, on the way back. So I've been up since 3 o'clock praying for every one of you. Ate breakfast. I've been praying, did my devotions all early. So I'm going to shut down here in about two hours. Uh, Just fascinating. The entire trip was incredible. Everybody needs to go to to Israel at some point in your life because it, it, it helps you understand the Bible, the geographical understanding of where everything was. We went to the Sea of Galilee where Jesus called some of his disciples, walked on water. We're there. We went to Capernaum where he taught in his synagogue and the ruins are still there where he would have healed Peter's mother-in-law right then and there in Capernaum. And that's probably why he denied Jesus three times. (laughs) That's a joke. It's a joke. I'm not responsible for what I say. I'm sleep deprived. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Then we go to Jerusalem. We walk the holy city. We see where the temple was, the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm standing in the very place where Jesus looked over all of the area of Jerusalem and said, he, he cried and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks, but you're not willing. And I felt the compassion of Jesus over that city and just so many incredible things. The Sea of Galilee was probably one of the most spectacular things that we saw. Saw Philippi, Caesarea, all these things. I, I, we went on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and just worshipped as we, went, we were going all around the Sea of Galilee. I stepped out and walked on water a little bit. How many know that's not true, but I wanted to. I was tempted. I was like, God, I have faith, but you didn't call me. So just an incredible moment. How many, by show of hands, how many would be interested if we did a tour for our church to go to Israel in the next year or two? Would, Really? Man, I'm, I think the, the earlier you can go in life, the better, because it gives you an understanding of the Scripture. When you're reading the Bible, it just comes alive. Like, I was there. I understand what he's talking about. So who knows? I, I was thinking about that on the way back. And I've, I, I taught a lot of videos while we were there. So follow us on Instagram, and uh, I'll start posting some of those little videos and the, these cool spots. But it was just an incredible trip. Thank God for what's taken place over the last few weeks while we were gone. Uh, my wife, she killed it. I, I was preaching in Atlanta a couple weeks ago and ministering to a great church that we've been coaching. And uh, man, it's phenomenal. This church is doing great. And then Al- Alfred Smith came and preached. And then Wednesday night, there was an AU takeover I heard Wednesday night. Our students just took over the Wednesday night service and they just killed it, man. It was just an incredible time I heard. Nothing but great reports. But how many know there's no place like home? I missed y'all. Did y'all miss me? I miss you big time, man. I miss my, my girls. I, miss, I, I didn't miss my dog, but I miss my girls. I miss the church. I prayed for you guys a lot, man, and a lot's happened in a couple weeks, but good to be home. And here's what I thought I'd do. I thought I would teach you from one of the spots that we visited in Israel. Is that all right? So let me show you a quick little video. Here's a video. There's no audio, but I just want to show you. This is the video of Nazareth. Okay, let's throw this video up there. Here we have a video. This is Nazareth. This is a video I took. You can see Nazareth where Jesus would have grown up. And then I'm standing on the Mount of Precipice, which if you're unfamiliar with that, that's a place where I'm teaching right now. It's overlooking the the Valley of Jezreel. This is a cliff, everybody, where they would have taken Jesus and tried to throw him off a cliff one day. I'm standing there like it's incredible. 
And we go through Bethlehem and see the old city. They had an H&M and Zara in Bethlehem. (laughs) Jesus was fitted back then. I'm just telling you. That was weird to see that. But I want to talk to you from this location. This location, the mountain of precipice. And and I want to talk to you from the subject matter. Excuse me as I slip by you. (laughs) Turn and tell somebody, excuse me as I slip by you. Turn to them with a little bit of attitude, not too much, a little bit of attitude. Excuse me while I just slip by you. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much for the hope and healing that you've offered us. We thank you for great grace. We thank you for your purposes being fulfilled in our lives. Today, I pray that you'd help us understand a little portion of the scripture to apply it to our lives today. No matter where we've come from, no matter what, where we are on our spiritual journey, I thank you that you're in control. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Somebody say good amen. amen. Grab your Bibles, grab your notes out, grab your pens. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 28 through 30. Luke chapter 4, 28 through 30. Luke records, and he's a doctor, he says, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Talking about what Jesus is is saying. Verse 29, they got up and drove him out of the town, took him up to the brow of the hill, which is called the town, which is, which is the hill on which the town was built. This is where I was standing, the Mount of Precipice, in order to throw him off the cliff. Verse 30, could you read this out loud with me? But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> read it one more time. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Have you ever had a close call before? Anybody have a close call before? I was walking in Jerusalem with a friend from Church of the Highlands, and, and in Jerusalem, they have, they have like, as a crosswalk, they have three different crosswalks lights that tell you if you can go or not. Like, we just have one from one side of the street to another. They had three. So, my friend and I were talking. It's one in the morning. We're walking back to our hotel, and we got the first green, the second green, but the third one, we didn't get green. And that's like for the people who are making a right turn or coming in from the left side. And, and I grab him. I grab his arm hard. And I say, whoa. And right then a taxi came driving by. He would have got hit. I stepped back and I was like, that was a close call. When I was age 14 years old, we just left church. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told anybody this story publicly. My parents are going to freak out when they hear it in second service. Just left church. Youth group. My friend is driving, he's driving me home. But his cousin, who's too old for youth group, shouldn't even be coming to youth group. <laughs> should, should have moved on, but he didn't. And he's, he comes back, he's angry, he's upset. We're like, dude, what's wrong? He said, man, there were some guys, me mugging me, up the street. And, and, and they were, they were like some kind of gang members or whatever, they're giving him signs and, and make, he got offended. So he came back, and so we talk a little bit about it. I get in my friend's car, who's 16 years old, which, by the way, you should not let your kid drive with anybody who's under 21, just to, I think that's wise. Anyway, I, my parents didn't care, so I am, I'm in a car with another 16-year-old who's going to drive me home. We, he hits a left turn instead of right to go see if the guys are still there. He sees the guys, probably about, I don't know, a couple blocks away, floors it, 
We're headed straight towards these guys. And at the last second, he turns just to scare them a little bit. They all jump back and reach in their pants and pull out guns. I was like, they got guns. We drive around the corner. We drive and we meet his cousin in a parking lot. Just stupid. We park out in the light in a parking lot. We get out and I'm like, that was stupid. They have guns. They don't have guns. I saw them. They were pointed at me. Just then, guess who rolls up? Those guys. And the cousin, who's the older guy, gets in his car and leaves. We're stuck. We're too, we're too, we're too far away from our car. We're talking to him. He leaves. He's the one who got us in this mess. He leaves, and the guys get out of their car. No joke. God honest. I'm not exaggerating one bit. They start walking towards us. I feel like it's slow motion. He pulls out the gun, points it right at my face, and I start speaking in tongues. Now listen, you may not believe in speaking in tongues. You try having a gun pointed at your head and you'll be like, real fast, real fast. Baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's like an atheist who doesn't, he like tries to claim they don't believe in God until the plane's going down. They could be in a flat out argument. Like, I don't really know if there is a God. Oh dear Lord, Jesus have mercy. Like everything changes. Okay, listen, honestly, God, truth, the guy was walking towards me holding a gun and his friend, when I start speaking in tongues, his friend puts the hand on his, on his friend's hand and says, that's not the guy and puts the gun down. And I don't know what to say. I mean, you, how do you pray in that moment except for help me, Holy Spirit? That was a close call. A close call is also when you're at home. And your friend calls you to watch the game at his house when you were just about to be forced by your wife and kids for a Downton Abbey marathon. That is also a close call. That's also a close call. Saved. Let me tell you about a close call in the scripture. Luke chapter 2 is, well actually the book of Luke is written by the guy named Luke, you're very, you're very great learners already. He's a doctor. He's into details, very fastidious. He, and, he, and he starts off by, by talking about the birth of Christ. And then he goes into John, John being born. And John's the guy who went before Jesus and told everybody, hey, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. Then one day they both grow up and John is baptizing. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus is baptized and the heavens open and a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. A pause for a moment because God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased before Jesus ever did one miracle. Which is interesting to point out because a lot of us think that we get our identity and our self-worth from God based on what we do. God's, God, you don't get your identity and your self-worth based on what you do. It's who you are as a child of God. He is a good, good father and he loves you just who you are. Can I hear an amen from nine o'clock? <laughs> I feel like preaching. I just came back from Jerusalem. So here's Jesus. He, he, now, he now hears this. He is identified as the son of God and he goes straight into a 40-day fast where the devil tempts him, which that's why I don't fast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We do a lot of fasts. I fasted for 40 days before, 40 days and actually did a 21-day fast. 
in the beginning of the year, so there were 61 days out of 365 that I didn't eat a thing, just, just liquids. Now, Jesus did a supernatural fast. That's where he didn't drink, eat anything. Listen to me. Listen to me. We do not recommend that kind of fast. If God has not called you that fast, you will see him face to face. You will die. Do not, do not do that fast. But when you're fasting, man, you have stomach pains, you're hungry, anything looks good, and the devil appears to him and tries to tempt Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, you can turn these stones into bread, which, by the way, when you're fasting, is there anything that looks better than bread? Like, he had the power to just turn this into bread. I love bread. I love bread a lot. Bread is so one. And in my mind, I'm thinking like garlic cheese bread, crackling bread, just crumbs all over. It could be gluten-free in your fantasy if you want to. But for me, it's, it's rich, filled with gluten on the side kind of bread. Jesus says, and he points to the Bible, he points to the word. He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, there's a second temptation, and the Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we were tempted and yet never sinned. So he had, to, he had to succumb to the temptation so that you and I would know he's not some distant creator that doesn't know what we're going through. He was tempted in every area, but he never sinned. The second temptation. Then Satan tries to come and say, well, hey, listen, just bow down to me, and I'll give you all these, you know, this other stuff. And Jesus points and says, no, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love how he said your God to the devil. Because the Bible also says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen, at one point, every human being, every creature, even the devil himself will be forced with a crick in his knee to bow his knee to the Lamb of God and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The third temptation takes him up to the top of the mountain, the hill, and, and he says, the temple, which I believe was the, probably the southwestern wall. We were there. It's the highest point of the temple. Probably where Satan and Jesus stood as he said, throw yourself down from there and, you know, let let your angels catch you. And the Lord responded again with the word of God and said, you are not to test the Lord your God. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Three times he pointed to the word. Three times. Which, by the way, anytime you're tempted, go back to the Bible. Write this down. God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. Now, it's hard for people to think biblically if we don't read the Bible. We live in a world that's pulling us and, and everything goes nowadays. And it's like, hey, what's true to you is true to me. And what's true to you, uh, just whatever's true to you is true to you. And it's just all truth is relative. Listen, we have to come back to thinking the way God has intended for us to think biblically, have a biblical worldview. And the Bible is so powerful. Now, listen, Jesus came to save us from our sins. But he also came to show us how to live here on earth. And so he purposefully put himself into some stuff that he didn't have to put himself through just so we can know. Look at the rest of Luke chapter 4, verse 15. Look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee, which we were there on the Sea of Galilee, in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside, as it should. Again, ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you a question. Has there been a week that has gone by recently where you have not mentioned the name of Jesus to anybody? News about Jesus ought to spread like wildfire. Is there anybody in here who God has changed your life? 
Come on, if he's changed your life, it's the best news that you've ever heard. There ought to be a moment where you're not crazy, fanatical, standing up, preaching on bar, like, can I have everybody's attention? But there ought to be a time where you're able to ask God, give me a window of opportunity to just tell somebody about the love of Jesus Christ. News about him spread through the countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everybody praised him. This is phenomenal. He's in Galilee. He's in the synagogue. They're praising him. And then look at verse 16. Then he went to Nazareth, which that's the first city that we saw. That's where Jesus grew up, where he'd been brought up. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, (coughs) as was his custom. (coughs) He stood up and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. Now, we have a Bible with pages. They had tables, and they would have unraveled the scroll on a long table. He finds the place where it reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and to recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Watch this. This is hilarious. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Boom. Dropped the mic. Everybody, all the eyes of everybody in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began saying to them, today the scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing, which means that, that prophecy of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus' time, speaking about the Messiah to come, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Now, <clears throat> write this down. You get super excited about God and the things of God and your purpose and destiny. Not everyone will believe you. Not everybody will believe in you. Some of them will think you're crazy. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his lips. They were amazed. And the very next breath, watch us, the very next breath, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Where is he, everybody? What city? Nazareth, where he grew up. These people knew him. They're amazed for a second. And then they're like, hey, wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? This... We know him. They asked, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote the proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard, what you have done in Capernaum, which is 38 miles away from Nazareth. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now, why, why is that? Could it be that when we think of world changers and difference makers, we think that they look differently than we do. Have you ever read the Bible before and you're reading like incredible men and women of God who did great things and you're like, man, they're superstars. I could never do that. Why is it that we think that world changers and difference makers live 200 miles away from here? Like they couldn't be in Antioch. They couldn't be in our city. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't really do this. And it's funny because we elevate people we don't know over the people we do know. You'd probably agree with this statement that, that, you, that the people you don't know usually look better than the people you do know until you get to know them. <laughs> you know that's right. There's a religious group of people in Jesus' day, and when I say religious, I don't mean in a good way. And they think that they're the best. They think that they have it all together. On the outside, they look the part, but on the inside, they're empty and void and bankrupt of any real real relationship spiritually. Jesus compares this group of people to unbelievers of the days of Elijah and Elisha. 
Now they get mad. Because here's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, standing in front of them, and they, dis- they miss it. They-, they don't believe him. They think he's crazy. They went from praising him to now thinking he's crazy. Okay, let's review. Luke opens up, birth of Christ. John the Baptist comes, talks about Jesus. The, the Messiah is coming. He's baptized. The heavens open. God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He goes into the desert, the wilderness. He's tempted. He points to the word. The devil leaves. And then all of his, 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 his popularity spreads through Galilee. He goes in the spirit of, of God. News spreads everywhere. Everybody's praising him. He comes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And everybody there is like, really, Jesus? Really? Um, can you imagine for a moment the intimidation and the opposition Jesus would have faced here as they look at him and say, you're Joseph's son. We, we know you. You're just a carpenter from Nazareth. And somebody speaks up and says, he built my coffee table. <laughs> we knew you when you were in diapers, Jesus. We, we heard about you when you were bar mitzvahed. And now you're going to save the world? Yeah. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are about, you, you're claiming when all this opposition and intimidation, you're claiming to be the Messiah? Listen, you heard about fast and furious? Well, they got fast. They got furious real fast. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. Watch this. One breath they praise him, the very next breath it's, who do you think you are? Verse 28 says, all the people in the synagogue were furious. When they heard this, they got up, they drove him out of town, and they took him to throw him off the brow of the hill which the town has built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now look at me, everybody. The phrase, they drove him out of town, does not mean that they got him in their Chrysler minivan and drove him out of town. It means yelling, screaming, pushing him all the way up to the Mount of Precipice, which is a, it's, it's a, it's a little while. I mean, it's a, probably a mile or two from, from the, where Nazareth is. They're pushing him, arguing, complaining. They can't take it any longer. And they, they want to take him up there to the edge of a cliff that's overlooking the Valley of Jezreel, and it's a hefty cliff. It's the only cliff there in Nazareth. They were going to throw him off. They wanted to end him. They wanted not to hear about him any longer. They thought this was heresy. They were, tr- they were trying to kill him there, but it wasn't his time. And oh, I love verse 30. Because verse 30 says, look at it in your notes. Verse 30 says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I wonder, is there anybody here that can relate to this a little bit? Is there anybody here that can relate to this just a little bit? Maybe God has changed your life. Maybe you're now a person of vision, passion, and faith, and you're starting to come to church, and your life is starting to grow a little bit, and and man, you're serving, you're growing, you're serving people, and yet we're not always so easily accepted by those who knew us before we were believers, and now we are believers. They look at you a little crazy, and they're like, they knew you in junior high. They knew you when you weren't making the best decisions in your life. They knew you when you had zero vision for your life, and now you have vision. Now you're, you're going to change the world? Really? Really? You, you're going to change the world? I wonder, is there anybody here that knows what it feels like to be called, but not yet appreciated and accepted? <laughs> yeah, I'm stepping on a nerve, aren't I? 
I wonder, is there anybody here that knows what it feels like to have vision, but yet not anybody believes in the potential in you yet? Does anybody know the feeling that God has changed you on the inside and you know that you're not the same person and something has been resurrected on the inside of you and you're walking around thinking, God, you have a great plan and a great destiny and I want to go through the growth track and I want to get on a team and I want to begin to serve and you have a voice of somebody who knew you from your past say, really? Really, Sean? That's why it's so important, write this down, write this down, to know who you are and to know what you are about. Know who you are and know what you're about. In Luke 2, we, we see a quick snapshot of a junior high Jesus. And he's lost, and, and his parents don't know where he is for a few days. And they come, and he's in, the, he's, in the temple, he's in the synagogue, he's there. And they say, what are you doing? And he says, Mom, Dad, didn't you know? I, I, I gotta, I'll be in my father's house. I must be about my father's business. He knew who he was. I'm a child of God, and I must be about my father's business. As a child of God, you need to know that your identity is found and secure and solid just as a son or a daughter of God, and we must be about our father's business. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? Learn to stand up. At some point, you got, you got to know who you are and what you're about, and you're going to have to learn at some point to learn how to stand up and walk right through the crowd to walk right through the intimidation, to walk right through the opposition with confidence. And listen, to keep going even when you don't have their vote of confidence, to keep on going even when they talk behind your back, to keep going even though they're trying to drag you down with their words, you have to tap them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, I'm just going to slip right on by you. I'm just, I got, I got, I got to slip right on by you. Excuse me, just for one second. Jesus walked right through the crowd. He walked right through the intimidation as they were trying to kill him and end his life. He kept going. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to be that type of person where you keep growing and you keep serving and you refuse to get bitter and you refuse to get offended and you know that the spirit of God is with you and even when they look at you and say, really, you think you're going to change the world? Who do you think you are? You really think you're going to make a difference in the world? With all humility and full dependence on Christ, you can lift up your voice and say, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has in store and prepared for those who love him. That's you. That's you, everybody. That's me. Isaiah 54 says, No weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. It will be formed. It will be raised up, but it won't land on you. God said, Every tongue that rises up to condemn you and judge you, it will be brought down. You got to understand at some point with all the intimidation, and I'm not talking about like, hey, when a leader, spiritual leader corrects you and you just don't like what they say. I'm talking about when these are unbelievers. These are religious people void of any relationship with Jesus. When they try to squelch, squelch out your enthusiasm for Christ, you have to learn how to walk right through that and keep your head high and understand that God has a destiny for your life. And to think, some of you almost bailed on Jesus because of what a few people said. Whew. That was a close call. Would you bow your heads with me?